Grab your popcorn and snacks. Find a comfy spot, take a seat or lie down, and let me transport you to a place of fantasy, ghost stories, ancient legends, odd creatures, alien encounters, and other magical topics. You may even decide to join the conversation. From faraway lands to your own backyard, with a small dash of pixie dust, turn out the lights and open your minds. The journey is about to begin. Good evening, everybody. How is everyone? It's hot. Oh, no light. Look at Got my spotlight. Clumsy me, I forgot my bloody spotlight. Anyway, welcome everybody. Uh, welcome to California Haunts Radio. My name is Charlotte. I will be your host for the next hour or so. And hopefully I'm going to entertain you and frighten you. No, not frighten you, but you know, hopefully you learn something because I'm here to educate. And uh, hopefully my guest has a great story, and I think he does. I saw him on TV once, and I think he's got an interesting story to tell. Mr. Linder. Anyway, uh, my name is Charlotte. I'm the owner of the California Haunts Paranormal Investigation Team based out of Sacramento, California. We're 35 strong. Excuse me, it's hot. Boy, I'm still... You know, you get to the point where you're so hot that it takes you a while to cool off. I've been in here an hour and I'm still sweating. Ah, it's 105 today. Anyway, uh, we are uh, 35 strong up and down the state of California. We... uh, it's great to be that way because if you have a paranormal issue that you need, we can get to you in just about every county. And uh, and we're just not going to go out and say you have a ghost. We're going to go out and analyze everything and check out, you know, check things out for, um, check things out for logical stuff. And uh, then if, you know if we can't explain it, then we're going to look at the paranormal side of it, right? Okay, that's what we do. If we didn't do that, it'd be a disservice. So anyway, welcome, and uh, you can you can find me. At CaliforniaHaunts.org, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com, or on Facebook. I'm public, so you can find me on Facebook. There's California Haunts uh, um, pages on Facebook. There's California Haunts Ghost Events. Yeah. All those pages, you can contact me there. Okay? Or PM me on Facebook. Our guest tonight <coughs> bought a house in Bothell, Washington. Excuse me. <coughs> bought a house in Bothell, Washington. Dream house. But that dream, as they say, and I know it's corny, that dream turned into a nightmare. Because the house ended up being allegedly haunted. And not only haunted, but a poltergeist that was, that was and is very angry. And this couple lived in this house with this poltergeist. And he has, he has an incredible story to tell. His name is Keith Linder. Some groups believe him, some groups don't. We're here on California Hots, you know, radio. We, we have an open mind. So let's hear him out and hear what happened. So let me bring him in. Hello, sir. Hello, Keith is here. How you doing? Can you hear me? Yes, I can. How are you today? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. Normally my camera would be working, but I've had difficulty with camera work today. Uh, are you still know. living? Are you still living in the house? Uh, no, I moved out of the Bothell House, uh, 2016. Thank God. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say. Whoa, I saw you guys on um, on Ghost Adventures, and also our sister group down in Washington came out there to investigate. They were one of the groups that came out. Yeah, yeah. There were several teams yeah. local to both Oregon and Washington that. Uh, visit the Bothell House. Yep, yeah. sure did. Yeah, we're almost one of our sister group. 
So tell me about you and then tell me how you came in possession of this house. Um, I found this house on Craigslist probably in March of April of 2012. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, Tina, and I moved in uh, May 1st, 2012. Um, this is a new home. The home was built 2005. Bothell is a suburb of Seattle, Washington about 20 miles northeast of Seattle, relatively new suburban neighborhood. And uh, me having recently been promoted in IT, uh, Tina and I have been together two years already. Um, yeah, we moved in together. So we found the house on Craigslist. We both loved it. We toured, we gave it, the owner gave us a tour. Uh, it was not readily available. I think we had to wait four months, I mean, four weeks until we actually moved in, but we did. Uh, but yeah, that was May 1st. And uh, as soon as we moved in, uh, we started having uh, activity. We didn't know it was activity at the time, having no experience with the paranormal. Uh, so it takes a while for the house occupant to catch up to what the ghost or poltergeist is doing. But um, so yeah, that's what happened. So what, what, what kind of things did you notice at first? Uh, one of the first things I noticed and Tina noticed was missing items. There was a, I had an extra set of car keys or car fob, like I like to say, uh, went missing. Uh, Tina started complaining about her missing jewelry, um, trinkets, heirlooms that she had that I did not even know existed, but she had. Mm -hmm. Um this is relatively early on. Another thing that we um, began experiencing also was a mysterious kid cough. We have no kids, no pets whatsoever, just two adults in this four-bedroom home, two-and-a-half-bath home. And, um, you know, phantom footsteps, you know, you would hear pitter-patter noises, odd hours of the night, a lot of scurrying going on. You can come home from work, and I kid you not, and as you're putting your key into the keyhole of your front door, you're hearing this mass commotion of noise on the other side of the door. You're hearing conversations until you open the door, then there's nothing. And then another weird thing was early on, finding items in the home that neither of us owned. So, uh, like you said, you you had no at first you had no idea what was going on. What did you think was going on? Uh, we thought we were being pranked at first, meaning that this is new. We're new to the neighborhood, new to the home. Uh, obviously, there's some either the previous tenants were coming to the home, or maybe their kids or adolescents or whatever, or maybe neighborhood adolescents are pranking us. Um, and we really thought that because, like I said, when you wake up in the morning, come downstairs to go to work, and every kitchen cabinet door is wide open. I mean, every one of them. Mm. Items are displayed openly. Things have been rearranged. You know, we didn't leap to the conclusion of ghosts or poltergeist. I don't know what that is or right. didn't know at the time. Um, so I had the locks of the home change, you know, as a precaution of protecting Tina and myself. We thought it was a bad joke. Ha ha, not funny. Right. 
I had ADT come in and install a new security system, but none of that stopped. Okay, so none of that stuff uh, ceased to exist. As a matter of fact, it started increasing. And probably the day or night where we realized the house is haunted was the day me and Tina, while watching a movie on TV, saw the plant levitate by the television. It was a four-foot-tall tree-like plant that Tina had that she put by the entertainment center. And it darted up in the middle of the air and did a 360-degree spin in front of both of us and fell back to the ground as we were watching TV. And then we thought then, um, you know, if that's a prank, that's a very good prank. Mm-hmm. Um, and then up after inspecting the plant, looking for a remote control device or a wire or whatever, we finally came to the conclusion that our house might be haunted. Now, you know, did it get worse? You know, after you thought about being haunted, did, did things seem to get worse? Uh, yes, but gradually worse. And by gradually, once it seemed whatever spirits were in play here really ratcheted up activity once me and Tina came to the realization mm-hmm. that our house might be haunted. Because keep in mind, we know nothing about the paranormal. Mm-hmm. So we went to the internet to look up, you know, how do you tell your house is haunted? You know, there's, there's nothing you can buy at Home Depot that will help you. So the internet being our friend told us, the top five things to look for. We've already seen all everything it gave us, but what do you do? One of the things we did was we had the house blessed. We called in a church or two, and they came in and blessed the home. That would work for a few days or a few hours. Um, And then we started to sage or smudge. You know, that was one of the advice given. But then objects start being thrown. Now, by objects, I mean flower pots start being thrown, books start being thrown or flung off bookshelves. Uh, There's an infamous video on my YouTube channel where you see the ironing board and the iron go flying across the hallway after being thrown. That's not a person doing that. That's an entity. Mm -hmm. And... um, yeah, so I've seen the objects start getting bigger and the, and the frequency, the frequency started being more and more. You can almost set your watch to it uh, every evening after 8 p.m. after we've had supper. You would you hear these loud bangs, boom, boom, boom. And then Tina had all these plants and they would go flying across the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of them died. We, we couldn't take care of them anymore because they would just constantly being thrown um, and then we were trying to bring people in to you know quiet the house we did not feel yet at the time a sense of danger but it was scary I mean it's, it's obviously when you're getting a crash course into the paranormal like we were uh, steep learning curve um, yeah it's very unsettling well, you know, you call it a poltergeist. So one of the questions I have as an investigator, if I was coming out to interview you guys, you know, for a prelim, were you two under any stress whatsoever when you moved into the house? No, actually quite the opposite. You know, one of the uh, misnomers surrounding poltergeist activity is 
you know, there has to be, you know, stress in the home or strife in the home or adolescent, teenager, puberty, whatever. But keep in mind, we got the home because I had recently got promoted. So I, I, I'm, I'm on cloud nine. I've got an advancement at work, mm -hmm. uh, which character is a lifestyle change. I mean, we always focus on the negative lifestyle change around poltergeist activity. There is data out there to suggest that even positive lifestyle change, such as this, right. um, home renovations. You know, we did not do any home renovations, but mm -hmm. there are documented poltergeist cases where somebody added extra room to an existing house, to an old house, or mm -hmm. a new floor, rip out the carpet, added wood floors, and that is known to create or attract poltergeist activity. So I think we fall more so in the category of the positive lifestyle change and uh, yeah and the activity soon you know the activity definitely was there when we got there we were living in other places at the time tina had her home i had mine and nothing close to portuguese activity where i was living nor where tina was living so something was there when we arrived something we just by the fact of walking through the door activated it um my theory suggests what you just suggested is a positive lifestyle change of a couple, male and female, in their mid-40s at the time. Um, great career, great job, no stress, nothing whatsoever. I mean, one of the chapters in my book, The Bothell Hell House, is called The Housewarming Party. And it's a party where all my friends are there to celebrate me and Tina's house and they themselves saw the poltergeist activity so it was a light atmosphere a merry atmosphere of celebration and they witnessed objects moving and levitating and flying as well well you know when you talk about remodeling being an issue i know there's stories of old hotels where they have put new wallpaper on the walls of the hotels and they'll come back and the wallpaper's torn down yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah yeah, things are ripped from the hinges. What was added to improve an environment has been, you know, yanked from the seams, which suggests that the spirits are objecting to any change made to the property. Um, us having moved in the home and to experience, it's rare for a couple or any family to move into a home and experience activity right away. Usually the house occupants have been there a while and something in the environment has changed. Either renovation, death in the family, stress, laid off, health issue, financial constraints, problems of that nature. And those are usually the, the, the hints of, or summons of poltergeist activity. But having us move in on day one and heard a kid cough where there's not even furniture in the home. All people in the home are Keith and Tina. And we heard a kid cough as clear as day coming from the upstairs bedroom. Uh, the power to the house hasn't even been turned on yet. So it's not a, it's not an appliance. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not an electrical device. Um, so it, it, it was just very interesting. You know, I'm thinking too that some houses, you know, there's activity on the grounds, but sometimes it takes a certain person or like you say, a certain couple with certain types of energy to activate that energy. 
Yeah, that's the whole $64,000 question, right? Is right, right? What is the you know, cause, root cause, or symmetry, or whatever, or ingredient, spiritual ingredient, or energy? Uh, you know, pick any poltergeist case of all the similarities that they have. Mm -hmm. They do have a unique difference in root cause, you know, as to you know, Enfield Poltergeist, San Pedro Poltergeist, um, all these cases, you know, what, what what caused it. What's interesting with us, and, and your listeners might not have known this, but I followed the episode on Ghost Adventures, because Ghost Adventures barely mentioned it. I don't, I don't think they even, I think they glossed over it, but we found out that there was a family, husband and wife, three kids, who lived in the home 2008 and 2009, very short time, and they had activity. I, I was able to do some digging around, find the previous house occupant mm -hmm. who lived in the house four or five years before we did. And some of the things that they experienced, we were experiencing and vice versa. Um, so something was definitely there. Uh, we'll never know you know, how long something was there, mm -hmm. and what about the families in between? Well, what about the families in 2010, 2011, mm -hmm. up until the time we moved in? I have not found them. I have not been able to find them, but it was rather interesting when we first got the house, both the utility company and the water company, I believe, told Tina that uh, nobody stays in that house long. They're, they're constantly having, having to update the records of you know, who's the primary, secondary on the utility bill and whatnot. Uh, a home, a neighbor in the neighborhood, the day we were moving in, came over to introduce himself as he was walking his dog. And he even said, hey, nobody stays in that house very long. We didn't think nothing of it at the time. Mm -hmm. But if you got a brand new house, why are so many people living in it? You know, if it's a brand new home. You know, usually people move into a home near there, especially a brand new home. They move in, they stay in a couple of years, usually five, seven, 10, 15 years. Everybody we've talked to or, or able to find out lived in the home two years or less, including the original homeowner. You know, you think about the stuff like the door slamming, you know, the doors being pulled off the hinges and things like that. And, you know, that, that I mean, when, when the paranormal team comes in, that is not a normal ghost. Ghosts no. don't do that stuff. I mean, this is something. Or was something a lot, a lot more powerful than that? That's scary. Yeah, and it's even more scary for. I mean, imagine all that happening in the middle of you sleeping, right? You, you're trying to go to bed or taking a shower. The most scariest moments in that Bothell house were when me and Tina were the most vulnerable. You're most vulnerable when you're asleep. You're most vulnerable when you're taking a shower, uh, shaving. Tina's taking a bath. Sometimes I'm downstairs. Sometimes I'm not even home. Mm -hmm. And doors are being yanked off hinges. Uh, a door slam. Imagine, you know, you're taking a shower, right? And the bathroom door slams shut on you and the lights go off. You're, you're, you're in pitch blackness. Or the power is cut. We had the power cut to both the home or the room that you're in. You know, one of the most biggest fears I had was, you know, I'm taking a bath or shower and the poltergeist throws an electrical device at me. You know, I'm dripping wet and it's like, catch this, Keith. Or uh, I did have a fire. We had fire. 
I mean, fire, as we all know, is scary under any circumstances, especially in a home. We've had fire break out uh, while we're sleeping. Mm-hmm. The fire department has had to respond to a fire while I was taking a shower or my poster, the infamous poster catching fire in my office um, that billowed the entire house with smoke. And these are the, I mean, these are, these are straight out of Hollywood cannot paint a better picture than what we've lived through um, because it's just horrific in the sense of it catches you off guard. You can't plan for it. And these spirits seem to know the right time to, to get the bang for their buck. You know, the day my poster caught fire, I was alone at home by myself. Tina had just left for work. They know that. They see Tina backing out the driveway. Mm-hmm. They see her kiss me goodbye. And the fire erupted. So it's only me there. Me and whatever is there, banging doors, slamming doors, and lighting posters on fire. Wasn't there an incident with the Bible? Several. Yeah. Three Bibles caught fire. Uh, one went missing, then returned a year and a half later. Caught fire in the middle of the night, going back to that catch you off guard that you're sleeping. Mm-hmm. We had had tremendous activity the night before. A paranormal team had just left when Bible number one caught fire. And, you know, I think it was 1.34 a.m. in the morning. And they're on the, on the bedroom doorway of the bedroom, of the master bedroom. There's a book on fire. I mean, flames and everything. You know, alarms are chirping away. And, you know, we, we, we had these Bibles. A lot of people don't understand, well, why, why do we have so many Bibles in the home? You know, we had these Bibles because one of the things we were advised was whatever your religious background or persuasion is, you want to display that openly throughout the house. You know, if you're a Christian, you know, you want to put some crosses up here and there, some candles to ward these things off, to sort of, you know, let them know this is your house, they need to get out. Well, what the Portuguese do, ours in particular, was it takes all those things and just trashes them, you know. It's throwing the candles that I sit out at me. It's throwing the wooden crosses that I sit out at me. It's throwing the holy water that the priest left to use at me or Tina. And the Bibles are the same way. The Bibles that we're told to leave open to Psalms or Proverbs chapter, it's just burning the pages of those of those chapters. So from a psychological standpoint, one of the things I want, I think is important about Portuguese activity is, you know, we focus on the physical, but Portuguese activity is majority psychological. Mm-hmm. And the, psych, the, the psyche aspect of it is they're destroying all this religious paraphernalia around me and Tina to scare the heck out of us. And it's working right. because right. our brain is con- wired to think, oh my God, who would burn a Bible? The, the, the devil. Oh my God, it's the devil in here. You know, and, and, and it feels like that. I mean, who has the ability to spontaneously cause an object to burst into flames? You don't, I don't. <laughs> you know, and as soon as you turn your back on something, something is on fire. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. You, I mean, it's so unreal the brain can't digest it fast enough to where you're just shaking in your boots and that's what me and tina were doing well my question is this because you do call it poltergeist activity you know that sounds a lot like something demonic in the house or maybe it's something that wants to look like it's demonic well i mean you bring up a good point 
it's my belief that through my study, poltergeist and demonic activity are two sides of the same coin. Poltergeist, by layman's term, just means noisy ghost. Mm -hmm. We know poltergeists are not, the word ghost doesn't do them justice. Right. Poltergeists are, for what we believe to be, them to be, or like an energy. They're intelligent. It's best to associate them with like an intelligent haunting uh, versus just say ghost. Uh, and then demonic activity, you're right. I would say Portuguese, think of them as a level one through five, where you have one through five levels and Portuguese activity, depending on the home and depending on the historic cases. The historic cases that we probably know off the top of our head are the most extreme poltergeist cases. Enfield, mm -hmm. San Pedro, and other cases, you know, Enfield and others, where the activity is just so outlandish, you know, insects, burning Bibles, water puddles, raining on the inside of an environment, uh, scratches, growling, shadowy figures. Those are the extreme poltergeist cases that usually involve calling the Catholic Church. Right, mm -hmm. because something is in there that's gotten so powerful over time to where it's doing things not only considered paranormal, but it's doing things considered supernatural. Right. right. You know, straight out of a Bible movie or whatever. So we start experiencing that toward the end because keep in mind we're there four years. The activity has gone on maybe three and a half years of those four years. And it's getting an enormous amount of strength, you know? It's getting stronger and stronger to where it cannot do things that just riddles the mind, you know? The, the plants that we saw being thrown in 2012 pale in comparison to the insects and the fire and the scratches and the shadowy figures that we saw in 2014. That's because the Portuguese is strong now. Immensely strong, you know. It's crawling before it walks, and now it's walking before it runs, and now it's sprinting throughout the house. So, yeah, I think demonic and poltergeist activity are primarily the same thing, just at different levels. Demonic infestations, that's what you know, a demonic infestation is the extreme poltergeist activity, you know, and you can see the similarities, but you can see how they start off gradually and build up. Like Tina had scratches. Tina was scratched numerous times. I was pushed down the stairs. I saw shadowy figures all the time. Not early on, but toward the end. Mm -hmm. um, I saw apparition, a mm -hmm. female apparition several times. You hear the growl. I mean, these things come out of thin air. The foul stench, you feel a, a putrid smell. I mean, 10 septic tanks don't do it justice. It's just the, the putrid smell knocks you to the ground. It floors you to the ground. It really does. Right. And then it's gone like a nanosecond. It's like, it's there, but it's gone. It's like, bam, bam, bam. And, you know, we live in a city, so we have running sewers, so it's not it's not a backed-up system, but it smells 10 times like that. You know? And I can smell it, and Tina be standing next to me, it don't smell a thing. That's why I'm talking about the supernatural aspect of it, mm -hmm. or the, the flies, the, the flies that we saw in certain rooms you kill one and another one replace it mm. you know it's just the weird i mean not i mean these are giant flies these are flies the size of a nickel wow. you know 
and they don't move, they don't scatter, you can't shoo them away. And uh, and reading other Portuguese cases, I hear of similar tales in that order of how things gradually escalate into where you start seeing things that leave the paranormal column and go to the supernatural column. Well, I'm thinking, you know, because this case, it, it, you know, there's this controversy out there about it. You know, we'll get that out in the open. But I'm thinking that's probably because, you know, there's people that believe it's not a poltergeist case, that, it could, that it's probably demonic. And then there's the other half that do believe it's poltergeist. And then I think there's people out there that believe that you guys, you know, because, because it's poltergeist, that it's coming off of you guys. Yeah, that's because you got three, um, what I would probably call paranormal urban legends competing with each other. Uh-huh. You know, there's in the field of the paranormal community, there's not a um, consensus of what a Portuguese actually is. Mm-hmm. You can ask five investigative teams what it is, and you'll get seven different answers. Right. That's um, it's wrong or was wrong, to use an example, for ghost adventures to come into the home heavy-handed, thinking automatically, demon, 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 demon. <laughs> it's not. It's not to say that they're wrong, and there might not be there might be demonic activity taking place, but right. they started at that box and wanted to see the exploding Bibles. Even Zach said on the on the show, "Well, we want to see the Bibles explode for ourselves and the wall writing and the ooze from the wall and all that." And we're not going to leave until we see it. And that's all BS. Okay, number one, they're not going to see that. Mm-hmm. The Portuguese is not going to let the investigator see black oil seeping from the wall or Bibles exploding. No Portuguese would ever do that. The Portuguese reserves that for the house occupants because it wants a level of plausibility denial. Mm-hmm. It wants you to look stupid in front of the researcher to where when a researcher comes to the home, it looks like Keith and Tina are either over-exaggerating mm-hmm. or one of you is not on the up and up. One of you is playing tricks on the other like the episode sort of suggested that it was Tina, or there's nothing here and you guys are just making it up. Because we, being that Ghost Adventures were only in the home five hours, that's all they were in the home for, five hours, which you know better than me, is nothing as far as research goes. Right, right, right. Five hours is nothing. Yeah. But they sell it like demon, 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 wall writing, wall writing, wall writing. But they don't let the evidence tell them that. They assume that going in. Right. And if you know Portuguese activity, everybody knows Portuguese activity comes in waves. Me and Tina had spells where we had no activity. 2013, Mm -hmm. we had no activity. The activity stopped fall, like November of 2012. And it was no activity until... March, April of 2014. Okay. So these things can go dormant for a long time. And by the time ghost fishes arrive, all the heavy activity that got, that caught their attention has already showed signs of subsiding. Mm-hmm. You know, it is because it comes in a bell curve. Activity comes in a bell curve. Nothing is ever constant, just clear constant for years and years and years. No. Energy don't work that way. It has to do a bell curve, build up, calm down, go dormant, build up again. That's just the nature of energy, of physics. 
But they came in there looking for the ooh, the ah, the what, the burning Bibles and all that. And we didn't promise enough. I can't, as a house occupant, promise you that you're going to see a burning Bible. Why would I even do that? I don't even know when the Bibles are going to catch fire. Mm -hmm. And I live there. Well, paranormal groups should know this. I mean, there's nights when we've gone into what was supposed to be a very active house and nothing happens. I mean, they're not going to jump through hoops for you. And some of the time, too, guys, the one thing to remember is sometimes people are so excited that the group's coming out for help that they'll talk about it in the house. And so the, the, the ghosts or whatever's in the house hear them. And so they know that once we get out there, that's what we're there for, and they clam up. So, I mean, you can't, you know, you, you can't have them jump through hoops. And the reason why, I wasn't laughing at you, sir, because of ghost adventure, because, because you had them out. It's just the thought that they went out, <laughs> you know, because... Like you say, demons. Well, yeah. demon, that's all. You know. Yeah, it's like they went out, and, and and like I said, what they told us off camera is different than what they showed on the episode. But um, once again, they sent us their itinerary of how long they're going to investigate. And I and I told Tina, you know, um, you know, five hours. That that's nothing. You know, the teams that have caught evidence in the Bothell home. Are the teams that spent the night who lived in a home for a number of weeks. Uh, the UK team, Steve Mara, parapsychologist Steve Mara, and Doc Phillips, who, who did you know the documentary, uh, mm-hmm. Nick Kyle, they lived in the home two and a half weeks, 24 7. Uh, Nikki, uh, Nikki Fleck, Nikki Novell, Carissa, and her team, they lived in the house five weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, opposed to five hours. I mean, everybody has their own bedroom. Everybody has a designated bathroom. You're brushing your teeth. You're washing your hair. You're doing laundry. They're living in the home, and they're able to see the activity because the poltergeist is there, and it's not going to sit on his hands that long. It's like, okay, you guys are living here. Okay, I got to do something. You know, and then they're able to record it, and then they use you know investigative means to to draw it out. But none of them, even while living in the home, ever told me one-on-one, we want to see a burning Bible. We want to see water explode. We want to see wall writers. Because they know that's not going to happen. They didn't, they didn't, they knew it was I was telling the truth that it did happen. Now you can investigate and analyze the black oil, like the black oil that you saw in the Demons in Seattle episode. Right. Zach and them never took a wall sample of that black oil. It's right there on the wall. If you think, well, it looks like spray paint. Oh, y'all spray painted it. You know, well, why don't you go have it analyzed and see if it is spray paint, Zach? But they never did because they don't want to do that, you know. But we did. The paranormal team from the UK did. And we came back. It wasn't spray paint. It was bone black. It was incinerated buffalo bison bone. Wow. Spread throughout the entire office. Now, that's interesting from an investigator's point of view. I would think that would be interesting. That's absolutely interesting. Now, my other question is now, the, 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 obviously, this this was happening with, with both of you there. Did you both have to be present all the time for stuff to happen, or, or, or could she be gone, or vice versa? Or vice versa. There was an activity that me and Tina, there's three categories of activity in the Bothell home, or maybe four. There's activity that happens while we're both in the home. 
we're not necessarily side by side. Tina's doing her thing in the bedroom or living room, watching TV out of my office. And we respond to where the activity is at. I mean, if something gets thrown or you hear a loud bang, you go toward the direction of the noise. That's one category of the activity. Another category of activity is we're both sleeping. We're sleeping in the middle of the night. Something goes flying across the room, a loud bang, door slam, whatever. We get attacked in bed. That's a second category. The third category of activity is I'm away. I'm at work. I want to go to school activity while she's alone. Also, sometimes I've experienced activity while I'm alone. Okay. Or the house has had activity when nobody's in the house. See, people don't understand what our house, what makes the Bothell house interesting and sort of is rewriting what we understand about poltergeist is the majority of the activity that happened in the Bothell house happened while neither one of us was at home. Mm-hmm. You know, you come home into your home, you, you come home from work after eight hours and, and, and your house looks like a tornado went through every bedroom. You know, everything is poured out, cupboards, bed turned upside down, kitchen, you know, all the pictures that you see and on my YouTube channel and elsewhere or, or in the book that you're showing now, these are some of the activity happened while the house was empty. But guess what? And, and people, well, maybe it's vandals and people coming in. Well, we got security systems all armed to the teeth. And they're not being tripped at all, okay? They're not being tripped at all. They're not capturing any home intruder. There's no sign of break-in. You know, we've had the police department there, fire department there, EMT there. There's no sign of break-in. There's no sign of valuable theft. You know, I'm not reporting objects stolen, you know, iPads, laptop, things that anybody would take if they had the opportunity to come into a home and vandalize it. But the poltergeist is there. And that's for the researcher to decide is how are poltergeists or spirits, we'll say spirits too, able to do all this with all this electronic monitoring happening around them? That's the question that the the paranormal community should try to answer or the science community. Fascinating. And there was also writing on the walls, right? Yeah, the black wall, the, the writings of the walls, the, the the upside down stick figure of a man, the 666, the uh, upside down cross, all these things that first started off, you know, as, you know, sage ash, it was written in ash, and then it elevated or escalated to the black wall that I just talked about. Mm-hmm. And one of the, you know, one of the things cynics and critics always would you know, ding me and Tina was, well, well, why is this 666 on the wall? That looks so Hollywood. It looks so fake. Or, you know, you got burning Bibles, but you got Native American symbols and Native American and all that. It looks, it all looks fake. And, and, I, and I tell people, once again, you're not focusing on the Portuguese of the psychological here. Mm-hmm. We don't call them trickster spirits for nothing. Mm-hmm. Okay. The poltergeist, one of his goals, not all, but one of his goals is to make the home house occupants look as if they're hoaxing, attention-seeking, or 
you know, spirit writing. One of them is a spirit writer doing it subconsciously. They don't even know it. And so you have to dig deeper into the wall writing. Don't, just don't look at it from the surface level. Look at it from the level of, no, I'm going to take a piece of the wall writing home with me. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go have it tested. I'm going to have it analyzed. See, the 21st century is good in one sense. We can now take things to a laboratory, and if it's paint, they can tell you where the paint was manufactured. I work for a manufacturing company, so I know this. They can tell you, if you go back hard, far enough, when it was made, where it was made, who signed off on it, when it was made. But none of the paranormal teams ever thought to do that because they just see something on the wall. And they're like, oh, it looks like spray paint. No, it doesn't. Look closely, and you see the patterns on the walls, and you'll see the acrylic of it. And you'll see that's not your Home Depot, Lowe's type of paint, you know. But to test that stuff is expensive, and none of them wanted to test it. Now, the more scared you guys got, the worse the, 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 the worse the poltergeist got, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I would agree that there's a that there's a activity is ratcheted up based on the fear level, which is one of the benefits of why they do what they do. Um, the more fearful you get, um, the more sleep deprived mm-hmm. you get, the more maintaining, you know, we're, we're arguing with each other over the activity because we're sleep deprived, we're tired. Um, we've had the church or the paranormal teams who are canceling their appointments with us or not taking our claims seriously. So we're agitated, and the spirit takes all that and just makes it worse. It just throws it back at you. Uh, but the flip side of that also is the the lightheartedness, the laughter, and things of that nature. You know, makes the activity ratchet up as well. What did the churches say when you told them what was going on with the crosses and stuff? Um, the churches, believe it or not, had a better time believing us than any other. Uh, I would say, discipline or organization, you know, because the church by definition is dealing with the spiritual warfare between light to light and darkness. And the Catholic Church, uh, when we told them about our story, we're not surprised. What surprised the Catholic Church was the frequency. Mm-hmm. You know, what makes the bottle case interesting to some is the level of frequency the activity was happening. Um, but they were not surprised or didn't believe us. Uh, there were other stories in and around Bothell, in and around Seattle, Pacific Northwest, of similar homes uh, having similar activity. Um, ours was just extreme to the sense of nobody's ever seen the fire or this level of fire before. You know, normally you hear about that or you read about it in text, you know, somewhere in Europe you know, or the East Coast, but you don't necessarily, you know, witness it yourself. You know, when the fire department came to my house and saw the fire or the, the remaining of the fire, they were scratching their heads. I mean, they they, they had no root cause for that. Posters don't catch fire. That's just, that's just one-on-one basics. Posters are, don't catch on fire. They're not, you know, fire sensitive. Um, but nobody's going to blurt out the word poltergeist. There's not a fire captain in the world that's going to say, oh, that's a poltergeist. You know? So it just goes into the file of 
unresolved or inconclusive. I guess I find it interesting because, like you say, nobody could really come to an agreement on what exactly was going on there. From a high level, they did. From a high level, they did. I mean, Steve Mara and others definitely say this is definitely the hallmarkings of a uncharacteristic poltergeist activity. There are elements of demonic activity for sure. There are definitely demonic elements. But overall, this is a high uncharacteristic. This is a poltergeist that, and, and I'm quoting them, this is, this is them telling me, and I, and I believe them, this is the poltergeist case that we've not seen before. Mm-hmm. You know, you're having activity where neither one of you are at home. Right. You know, one of the main theories around poltergeist activity is the human agent theory. It's not the theory that I subscribe to, but it's a theory that exists. And we have plenty of evidence, meaning the paranormal teams that were there, of you guys are having activity when the house is vacant. Mm-hmm. The poltergeist is destroying your house because it wants you to come home to deal with them. You know, I had motion detection and cameras set up to the house that would go off. And I would be at work downtown Seattle. That's a 40-minute hour drive on a weekday. And I would log in. I could, you know, technology makes it where you can remote into a camera thousands of miles away. And I see my living room in a mess, destroyed. You know, like somebody like dynamite was set off. Well, naturally, I'm going to run home, you know. And the poltergeist knows that. That's why I did it. Right. You know, it wants us to respond. You know, go home, kid, take a day off work. Tell your boss you got an emergency. Every day, every day, every day, fire, you know, fire. You know, you got to go deal with it. You got to drop what you're doing, you know, and go deal with that. And they've not, you know, the paranormal community as a whole has not seen that before. So they're like, this is new stuff. This is new. We're learning. So it sucks for you and Tina, you know, but this is good for us. This is good. This is good data. This is good information for us because all the cases we've been looking at are 20, 30, 40 years old. The property is no longer there or the house occupants are gone or the property has been renovated. But now you got this new property and new, new data, new evidence, mm-hmm. new events happening. So yeah, we have to reevaluate how we define poltergeist. And that's, and that's the, and that's where we're at right now is redefining our current understanding of both poltergeist and demonic activity. Yeah. I can see that. I can understand that. I mean, it's obvious that something did happen to you guys. You know, that that, that much is obvious. But like you say, trying to define what exactly it was, that's where the difficulty lies with this. Yeah, what is the root cause? Like, why us? You know, why why Keith and Tina? Why the previous tenants uh, before us? You know, why why this house? Out of the 120 houses in the neighborhood, why the Bothell house? You know, we looked at the land. We looked at the the creek that ran behind the, the house, you know, the water. Uh, we did find there was a cabin where the house was built, but the trail went cold there. Um, you know, with the Native American, and but why the Native American symbols on the wall? Why, 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 why? And, and you know, every answer creates more questions. You know, we found out what the the black oil was made out of, bone black. But why bone black? Why, 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 why? Why this? Why that? Why upside down, man? The the, the, the the symbol upside down, man, is not a term that I invented. 
it's been in existence for Native Americans for a long time. It means a man has died or a man is about to die. And when it was drawn, Native Americans drew it only, they only drew it on two instances. They only drew it if a man was murdered or if a man was died from a disease like smallpox. Mm-hmm. You know, that's when they drew the symbol to let others know, tread carefully here, this man was murdered. Tread carefully here, this man died of smallpox, you know? And I did not know that, you know, it just looked like a stick figure to me, but it was interesting that it was upside down, but through research and and, and, and troubleshooting, we found out, aha, ah, okay. So what does that mean? Does that mean somebody died underneath the land of the house? We did find out that there were smallpox in Bothell, Washington, in the mid-1800s, as there were a majority of the Pacific Northwest, mm-hmm. or the West Coast for that matter, all the way from Vancouver to San Francisco. There was a smallpox outbreak in the mid-1800s that decimated, you're talking about 1.5 million Native Americans lost their lives mm-hmm. as a result of smallpox, and majority were left purposely untreated you know, so is that spirit in the Bothell house? Is is that its way of airing out his grievance? Like, hey, this is my land. This is my area. This is my, you may live here. You may build a new house or property on this, on this dirt, but the dirt is ancient. The home is new, but the dirt underneath is ancient. My bones are buried underneath here or whatever. So it's it just a lot of why questions, but I think there's enough answers too to where we definitely know it's definitely a poltergeist haunting, intelligent haunting with demonic element, demonic elements for sure. And we have a casualty. We have a casualty. Uh, Rhonda, the previous tenant, uh, when I caught up with her, uh, she told me when I caught, she had t- she had attempted four suicide attempts in the home, and she successfully committed suicide in 2016. So somebody, we have a, 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 a human being, may she rest in peace, who lived in the Bothell home for a year and a half, two years, who tried to kill herself four times in the home, that she confessed to me, and I pulled up the 911 records to vouch it, and she successfully was able to commit suicide uh, summer of 2016. When I caught up to her in 2014 while living in the Bothell home, her and her family had moved to Yakima, Washington. Mm-hmm. And she said that the house was a living hell. And she said her son, this is 2014, still saw shadowy figures out the corner of his eye. She said that that's never subsided. This is five years removed from the house. Now me, Keith Lender, it's 2022. I moved out of the house in 2016. I still see shadowy figures out the corner of my eye. And I've moved twice. Hmm. Wow. That was my next question was if you guys had seen any apparitions. Yeah, I've seen female apparitions. The female apparition that I saw looked like Rhonda. That's the previous tenant. I didn't know at the time because I didn't know how Rhonda looked. I saw the apparition a year or two before I met Rhonda. But once I saw the apparition... And it was a lady. It was a lady. She turned off the lights in my office and took off running. But I didn't have a face to compare her to 
until I met Rhonda. Now, Rhonda was alive and breathing when I met her. Like I said, she was living in Yakima, Washington. Mm -hmm. And the second time I saw the apparition, she was not gray. She was white. Mm -hmm. She was full-bodied white apparition, you know? And the face looked just like Rhonda. You know, we talk about uh, doppelgangers. We talk about spirits who take on the likeness of the person that they're haunting. Right. We talk about the living or crisis apparition. You know, just like there are ghost categories, there are apparition subset categories of a living apparition. Mm-hmm. You know, there are tales of people saying, oh, getting up, you know, the, 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 the crazy phone call that their uncle or somebody died in the car wreck and they talked to their uncle a few minutes ago or the uncle said goodbye to them or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, the apparitions that I saw looked like Rhonda, which should be interesting to you because, or anybody in the paranormal, because the apparitions that I saw looked like Rhonda. Rhonda was living in Yakima at the time, 600 miles away, and now Rhonda is deceased. Wow. Was the apparitions a precursor? Was it a warning? Are the people living in the Bothell house now, God forbid, I hope it's not true, but God forbid, are the people living in the Bothell house, will they ever see an apparition of me? Mm -hmm. Will they ever see me in my office? Like I saw a woman roam through the hallway upstairs like she was doing house chores. It wasn't Tina, it was a a full-bodied gray lady or white lady, just like she was just doing normal house chores, like a a, a stone uh, tape theory. You know, of watching a movie play over and over. That's why I saw that. But it was Rhonda. Is somebody going to see me in my office on the computer? I'm an IT professional. So the majority of what I did was in my office. Somebody going to walk into their room one day and see an image of me being gray or white, working on the computer, watching TV. Right, right. What was the scariest thing that happened, you think? The poster catching fire. For, for me, the poster catching fire. Because, like I said, I was in the shower. Tina had just left. And this was early spring of 2014. Uh, Ghost Adventures does a semi-good job of, of the reenactment of the, the fire coming from the office and me running. Um, once, that would by far would probably be the most horrific for me for two reasons. Number one, fire. You know, And then when I tried to um, run out the house, because the house was on fire, the front door wouldn't open. The front door was like it was cemented shut. It was like something was trying to keep me in the house while the fire was burning. Um, You know, you have the people that believe you. You have the people that don't believe you. What do you say to the doubters? Uh, Well, the doubters, have been a, if, you're, if you're a doubter because you are not familiar with the case, Mm-hmm. I tell people, get familiar with the case. The Ghost Adventures episode should not be, it may be the beginning of your familiarity with the case, right. it should not be your ending. There is so much evidence and information about this house and this case. I would hate for Ghost Adventures to be the first and last of your information. So I tell doubters who are in that category, get the information about the case, and I guarantee you're going to have a different opinion. If you're a doubter just for the sake of being doubting and, and there are all those people who are just doubting no amount, no amount of evidence or information is going to be good enough, right. I don't waste my time on those on those people. 
they're going to be skeptics. They're going to follow Ackman's razor and just come up with a theory of Keith Atino or attention seeking. They made it up as we go. If you think Zach Baggins is all perfect and does no wrong and nothing's not real unless he says it's not real, then I can have a conversation with you anyway. But I tell people, if you're open-minded, you can go to YouTube channel, watch the documentary, Demons in Seattle Uncovered. It's free on YouTube. Those are the investigators themselves. Look at the report. The report's like a 69-page report of what was found in the Bothell home. Go to Facebook. Go to YouTube. Just Google Keith Linder on the internet, and you're going to find information about this case. Then make up your mind. But if you just think everything ends and begins with Zach, then there's nothing I can do for you. That was my another question about the church. Did you get the Catholic Church to come out? Yes, the local, the Seattle Catholic Church referred me to the Bothell, obviously. We reached out to the Seattle. They referred us to the Bothell Catholic Church. And the Bothell Catholic Church are very, uh, are mentioned throughout the, the book, The Bothell Hell House. The priest was one of the examples I told you who came to the house, blessed the house, held communion, held mass, told us of similar stories happening in and around Puget Sound uh, that blew our minds, uh, you know, and then assisted us. But like I said, it just blew them away as well, being in the priest, because the level of frequency, mm-hmm. you know, usually, and this is the priest telling us, he'll have one instance, you know, take your pick, objects bling, objects moving, levitating, insects, flies, whatever, fire, whatever. That's just one instance. He's coming to our home where we have 300 you know, and it's really hard to troubleshoot and go after with all these multiple variables because, like I said, he'll bless the home. It'll be quiet for a day or two or a week. And then, boom, it just blows up. The home just blows up, you know. And then we're calling her, hey, come back, come back, come back, come back. Well, he or she may be out of town. He may be at a church convention or something. So it was not always readily available. But he tried to when he could. But yeah, the Catholic Church definitely been to the holy water I told you about was the they got thrown. They're still missing. They got taken. Yeah, the, the Portuguese took the holy water. Still missing to this day. Uh, was a gift from him. Yeah, a gift from him. Well, I just find it interesting because I know the times that uh, we've been involved with demonic cases, I know that, that they want so much documentation before they even bother to come out. But I guess because you'd had so many, you know, so many teams out there. You had the documentation, technically. Well, the, the documentation they wanted was the pictures and the photographs. Okay. You know, and it wasn't easy getting the Catholic Church's attention because you got to keep in mind, they get this stuff all day. Right. And not all of it is paranormal. Right. What made them finally come to our rescue mm-hmm. was the day the poster caught fire. Up until the up until the day the poster caught fire, the Catholic Church, meaning the one in Bothell, had been giving us the runaround. They had just been saying, "Well, send us the data, send us the photos, and we'll, we'll look at it, and analyze it, whatever." Well, when the poster caught fire, we had had enough, mm-hmm. so we went to the Catholic Church, covered in smoke and soot, and I had smoke and poster debris in my, you know, I don't have any hair, but all over my face and. I was looking disheveled, and Tina was looking disheveled. So we sat in the Catholic office and said, we're not leaving until y'all see us. Then they saw us. Up until now, it was always phone call and email. 
Well, we said none of that, no more, none of that anymore. And we went to their office. Then seeing us, believe me, the look on our faces, you know, you can look at our face, me and Tina, after the postal caught fire and knew right then and there, yeah, you guys saw the devil. Yeah, you, you guys, you got devil written all over your face. Yeah. Then they saw us, and then that was the relationship moving forward of, okay, we're going to come to your home now. This is, yeah, okay. Well, you know, I don't doubt that something happened to you. Huh? I have no doubt whatsoever that that, that something happened to you. I mean, the story is just 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 too incredible to to not think. You know, and uh, as far as the disbelievers go, I you know I know people that sit behind computers all day and look at photos and look at things, and you know it's hard when when you're not guys when you know when you're not on scene and people send you photos and stuff, it's hard to verify the photos because you're not there on scene, and that's what a lot of these debunkers are like. But like you say, there are people out there that do nothing but sit there at the, you know, their, their computers and debunk stuff. Yeah, those are the, the I call career skeptics. Yep. No amount of evidence is going to do. They they just thumbs up and thumbs down as it comes into their inbox. They go on YouTube and critique everything till kingdom come. Mm-hmm. But um, there are real cases out there. Ours is one of them. I get cases from people all over the world. I get cases. Uh, for people in Seattle and Washington, Oregon. And I can tell you, this thing happens more often than not. Mm-hmm. There are people who are going through something similar to what we went through right now. Mm-hmm. I have gotten the call from the Seattle Catholic Church. Kid you not, I put this in my book, where they're calling me and they're like, hey, we know you that Bothell guy. We talked to you years ago. Um, we got this guy up here in Marysville, and whoa, dude, we can you talk to him? Can you can you walk him from the edge? Because we 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 and 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 I and I call and, I, and I'm very hesitant. I'm right because I I know I got something surrounding me, and I don't want to make anybody's situation worse. So I'm very hesitant. But I was once in their shoes, and I understand how when you feel helpless. And you're alone. You can sometimes go to the wrong person and make the mistake, and they make the matters worse. So I was reluctant, and I took two cases, and I called the guy in Marysville, which is about an hour and a half or about an hour from Seattle for for Bothell, and I got him on the phone, and he told me what was going on, and I and I and, and I bonded with him right away, not because I wanted to, because I knew what he was going through. You know, you could just hear it in his voice, and he was like. You know, he's an IT guy. He's like, man, I work for Amazon. I live in Seattle, and my grandmother's been a t- whoa, dude. I like, hey, yeah, yeah. Take a deep breath, yeah. So, but the Catholic Church has called me twice with cases like that, and I, and, I, and so and they're spinning their wheels, but they somehow remember me. Oh, that cute guy in Bothell, yeah. Let's give it to him. Absolutely. So, since you've been out of that house, well, like you say, you you've seen shadow people. Has anything else happened? I still see shadow figures. I still experience um, occasionally, as recent as a few weeks ago, uh, an A-port or A-port item movement. An object was uh, my Amazon Alexa, was, uh, which I sit in the corner of my living room, was turned upside down on the opposite side of the room. Only I live here. I live alone. And no way it could have done that. No way. And Right when I'm getting them out of my mind, sort of like breathing a sigh of relief, oh, they're gone. 
they'll do something like take an item or make an item disappear or reappear. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing malevolent, though. I, 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 and so nothing compared to what the Bothell House was all about. Uh, I still feel the mattress indentations while sleeping, the invisible paw prints in the bed, as recently as today when I took a nap, uh, the tapping of the headboard, things of that nature, uh, what I call the disembodied heartbeat coming from the both pillow and the mattress, which your listeners can hear because we captured that, me and the paranormal teams. That's on my YouTube channel, those disembodied heartbeats. Um, so yeah, those those things and the shadowy figures I I still encounter. So yeah. How about Tina? Has she experienced she experienced anything else? Uh not to my knowledge. Uh I, I spoke to Tina, it was well over two years ago, right when I came out with book one, um, to get her buy in and, and approval. But uh, you know, Tina moved out the Bothell House a year before I did. Uh, it was it was it was it was the due to the negative coverage or portrayal of her right. in the Demons in Seattle episode that made her finally get the hell out the house because she was she was done. But uh, I was relieved to know when she moved out. Nothing that we know. I follow her. Mm-hmm. She's not had activity where she lives. She still lives in the Seattle area. She lives in Redmond, uh, and uh, you know. She's told me that she's not had anything, and that's good. That's you know that, that's good. It was always maybe 60-40 activity wise in the Bothell Hall as to who I would say experienced activity because we both experienced activity, but uh, it always seems to be me more, meaning sixty percent, her forty percent, mm-hmm. uh, and I attribute that to me being the one who brought in the paranormal teams the most, me bringing the electric gadgets to monitor, to capture some of the evidence and whatnot. The spirits really uh, were happy that I bought them electronical gadgets because some of them are still missing. Sure, sure. sure. And how about the new place? Have you had anybody out to bless it or, or do any cleansing or anything? In my new place, yes. Yeah, I've not made that mistake anymore. Um, or while or while traveling, yeah. You know, like I said, it's so low level now. Um, you know, every now and then there'll be something, uh, but it's not. You know, it's not. It's not benevolent. You know, um, nothing like it was in the Bothell home. Keith, I want to thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for uh, having me. This was a good uh, topic, good discussion. Hope your uh, listeners got a lot of info. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. All right, sir. Well, thank you. And uh, maybe we can get you on some, uh, some way to date too, okay? Okay. Thank All you right. very much. Thanks so much. I appreciate All right. it. Okay, All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. That was fascinating. And uh you know, whether you believe him or not, you know, you, you have to take the story for what it's worth. Uh, you know, it, it is a scary story. There's a lot that happened in the house. And I know there's detractors, you know, and non-believers with, with what happened. But, uh, you know, the people that live in the house are the ones that know what happened. And that's how I always feel. And when I go do an investigation, that's how I, I approach it is that, you know, I don't live in that house. The people do. So they're the ones that know. Okay. You know, it's just our job 
to take the information that they give us, and hopefully we'll get lucky enough to pick up an EVP or we will get some kind of evidence to help, you know, collaborate what they're saying. And that's what the job is. Sometimes you get lucky, sometimes you don't. And, you know, when you don't get lucky, it's it, it's wrong to say, oh, this didn't happen. Because like, like, like he mentioned during the interview, sometimes the ghosts don't want to come out and play when you're there. You know, they're not always going to come out and play. Sometimes when they know you're coming, they won't come out. I've done cases where we've gone out in the evening, done our investigation, went to bed that night, like at a hotel, and then the client calls and says, guess what, such and such happened. When during our investigation, nothing happened. So you can't go by, you know, going out to a place with nothing happening. Now, the report from our sister group, I agree with. I'm not going to get into it, but I agree with that because, you know, that's, that's Keith's business and everything else. But, I mean, yeah, it happens. You know, it happens. But my job here is to present a show that's fair and balanced, and I think that's what I do tonight, and, and, and it's cool. But anyway, tomorrow night we're going to be talking about remote viewing. Uh, Stephen A. Schwartz is going to be on with us. And the remote viewing uh, that he's talking about is government work government remote viewing. So we're going to be talking, you know, we'll see about that tomorrow. 6.30 p.m. Pacific. Yes. Anyway, uh, if you guys are watching on YouTube, uh, please subscribe. There's a little ghost down there with a magnifying glass and a uh, Sherlock Holmes hat on. Please, please subscribe. Uh, you know, we're always looking for subscribers. There's 250 videos on there, and uh, I think there's something everybody will like. Friday, remember, that's our special show with Nancy Matz, because Friday is is the anniversary of our 200th episode, which will officially be Thursday. So I'm really excited about that, this format. Didn't think I'd get that far on this format on camera. I hated looking at myself on camera when I first started. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about doing that 200th show. If you're watching on Facebook, please follow. Please hit that follow button. If you're watching on Twitch, please hit that follow button because we're always looking for people to follow us along. And if you're watching, you know, if you're watching, again, if you're watching on YouTube, you know, check us out. Also, uh, CaliforniaHauntsRadio.com is another place to see what we have to offer. We have some paranormal news stories over there. And we also have some, some things for sale, some T-shirts and things like that for sale over there. Plus, it's got all the archives from our shows on here and the beginnings of the archives from what we did 10 years, 10 plus years on Blog Talk Radio. It's been a long time. We started in 1996 doing this stuff. So, uh, yeah, we've been here for a while. But I want to thank everybody for coming. If you like the show, share it with five people. If you hated the show, Share it with five of your enemies. We are equal opportunity here at California Haunts Radio. And, uh, yes, Jen, you're right. They're not putting on a performance for you. That's exactly right with the ghosts. And, again, uh, you see that ticker down on the bottom? That's because we do not take any money to go out and do paranormal investigations. It's all on donation. So everything you see here comes out of my pocket. Any equipment you see us bring out in the field, like uh, cam like, like uh, infrared cameras, uh, and any equipment that comes out of my pocket as well. So if something breaks, I have to make up for it. So, you know, I really appreciate a little bit of help, if that's possible, to keep the show on the air. You know, we got internet costs and things like that. Uh, just you can do that at paypal.me at California Haunts or Venmo, and then just type in California Haunts. But anyway, I want to thank you all for coming, and I will show you Keith's book one more time. He's actually got three books out, plus a video. But I will show you Keith's, Keith's books and where to get them. And, uh, yeah, and I hope you guys have a good evening. So here we go. So there's the first one, the uh, Bothell Hill House. And there's two more poltergeist and a couple and the other one. 
And then you can get those at Amazon.com. And there's two Z's in Amazon. I must have been tired. Look at that. The journalist put two Z's in Amazon. Good grief. Anyway, I want to thank you guys for coming. And I will see you all tomorrow. Have a good night.